0: Welcome to the Natural Selection
1: Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Natural Selection Podcast with me, Emily. Today, I'm talking with Josh Stiles, all about our precious peat bogs here in the UK. Josh is a botanist, a science communicator, and is also the project coordinator of the Northwest Rare Plant Initiative. He's a man on a mission, having already reintroduced 44 plant species on the brink of extinction, including incredible success with peatland species. I had so much fun recording this and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. So welcome Josh to the Natural Selection podcast. I'm so happy to have you on today and to be speaking to you. I wanted to get you on to talk about peat bogs. If we can start off what is a peat bog? What classifies it as a peat bog, other than somewhere where you'll probably lose your welly, you know, if you if you step in the wrong place?
0: Well, to, to answer that, I, I think we first need to ask what peat is, and peat is basically an organic soil that forms under um, in really really wet conditions where bacteria and fungi can't properly get into the vegetation and. Break it down. Um, And the reason they can't break down vegetation properly on on peat bogs, um, which are these really wet environments, is because they are so wet. Because of the amount of water that's around, there's less oxygen in the soil, um, which leads to anaerobic conditions, and bits of vegetation can't break down properly. So peatlands are basically really, really wet, marshy environments and the vegetation that grows there allows for the formation of peat. So that is what peatland is and they are incredibly special habitats. They only cover about three percent of the Earth's surface but even though they cover such a teeny tiny minimal area, they contain more than twice the carbon than is contained within all of Earth's forests combined. They're incredible Habitats and everyone is so obsessed with tree planting, which are really good at taking up carbon in the short term, but in the longer term, um, they are just naff. The problem with planting trees is they take up carbon and then they'll die, get broken down and release it all again. And so when it comes to peat bogs and carbon capture, biodiversity aside, they are incredible habitats. Of course, there is a huge array of really, really special wildlife that uh, inhabits our, our peatlands across the world. So not only are they, they really, really important from um, uh, the perspective of climate and climate change and carbon capture, but they're also super, super important for a huge range of wildlife that's evolved to inhabit these really special environments.
1: So just why are they that important to us? Why, why should we be saving them?
0: Well, not only are they really, really important stores of carbon, and when they are healthy and wet, um, and the vegetation sequestering carbon, they're, they're not only important carbon stores, but they're important for carbon capture. And we should be bothered about peatlands, particularly in England. And the reason for that, is we've lost about 94% of our lowland peat bogs. Uh, In Northwest England, we've lost about 98% of them. And the reason for that is um, a lot of our peatlands have been drained. So they've um, been made to become these dry, relatively sterile environments for agriculture, um, as well as sometimes for, for, I don't know, urban sprawl and plantation. Um, And that is a huge problem because not only um, does it stop these peatlands becoming valuable for for biodiversity and stop them sequestering carbon, um, but by draining our peatlands, we're also creating a carbon source. When peat dries out... What essentially happens is the fungi and bacteria are able to get in there and they can oxidize all the carbon that's in the peat and release that all back into the atmosphere. It's carbon dioxide. Uh, in fact, IUCN statistics show that about 10% of greenhouse gas emissions globally from land use come from degraded peat bogs. It is a huge source of carbon um and we should be really bothered about peatlands and peatland restoration which should be right at the top of the environmental agenda in my opinion um as opposed to tree planting which can actually be quite damaging um and not so good for climate um issues and biodiversity issues so
1: why are people draining peat what what are we using the peat for why is it so important to us to to have it right why don't we just leave it there
0: well um peat bogs have historically been destroyed and and sometimes they still are sadly in in britain for for a number of reasons first and foremost um is agriculture so historically um the vast majority of our peat bogs have been drained and for use as agricultural fields um, so that they're suitable for a number of crops. Also, uh, we, we've extensively degraded a lot of our peatlands through Britain and especially in Ireland um, for peat extraction where peat is being used for fuel to, for, to power, power stations even um, and for incorporation into compost and really menial stuff like that.
1: Um, now, using peat and compost, that's the thing that I've heard of most of all that that I can do personally to help you know so if I'm buying compost I will always try my best to go for the the compost without peat in it do you think you know in a couple years to come that we will have stopped using peat completely in that sort of area
0: actually yes um Thankfully, thank God. <laughs> um, I believe there was an announcement recently where it's going to be mandated, at least for garden centres, that they are not going to be allowed to sell peat in compost anymore. Um, in the meantime, though, people absolutely need to check um, if they have any care or concern for the environment, whether the compost that they're getting um, is is peat free. It's, yeah. it's really, really important.
1: And does that would that make a difference in the compost? Will people notice that it's it's no longer in it? Do you know, is it a different quality of compost?
0: There are loads of viable alternatives okay. um, to. to compost with peat in them there are just loads there's there's not really much of an excuse o- over over the past few decades loads of research has gone into um suitable alternatives for peat in compost and the option of peat free compost is is there especially in um garden centers um and so many supplies of peat free compost nowadays <laughs> um, in, in terms of the impact as well there are huge expanses of bog um, in, in England, in Scotland, in Ireland that have been decimated just for um, peat use in compost which wow. is just ridiculous, that it is, crazy. is insane that these incredibly special habitats that began to form, many of them, at the end of the last ice age, between sort of 12 and 10,000 years ago, oh that God. we're, des- the fact that we're decimating these ancient habitats, just so we could grow a bit of coriander for a couple of years, <laughs> is, <laughs> um, but I think that's, that's pretty dismal. It is. Um, and there are alternatives there so
1: there we go um there was another important point you picked up on there that you know once these peatlands are gone they're gone does it take a long time to establish these habitats
0: I mean there are loads of initiatives particularly across England where our degraded peatlands are in the process of being restored um but ultimately these environments have formed over millennia and it will take a very, very, very long time um, for a lot of our damaged peatlands to recover. Um, If you go onto a peatland that has never had drains put in, it's never been dried out or harvested for peat, and you were to just take a clump of sphagnum in your hand. You'll probably have quite a few species there. You'll probably have loads of different leafy liverworts and different bryophytes growing through the sphagnum, as well as plants like cranberry or bog rosemary or sundew. And these are all plants that can be quite slow to colonise, or rather recolonize, area of degraded Bog that is in the process of recovery. So um, lots is being done to restore these degraded sites, but just bear in mind that, that these active raised bogs have, have taken millennia to form and it will take probably a, a very, 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 very long time um, for degraded bogs to recover from um, peat extraction or whatever else. And
1: leading on from what you were saying there. The restoration of peat bog sites. Now, you're very key in this, um, especially in the Northwest, with your reintroductions of plant species. And you have founded and you're project director of the Northwest Rare Plant Initiative. It's so successful. Please tell us all about it.
0: Um, well, actually, um, so I am, my name is Josh Stiles, and I am. <laughs> a botanist. Um, I absolutely love plants um, and, and my love of plants started when I was really little but one thing I distinctly remember being so so traumatized about in my early teens I remember being like 12. Um, there is something for most counties in England called a rare plant register and every year in Cheshire which is where I was brought up and um, the the rare plant register would document yearly more and more and more extinctions. It was really traumatizing and you'd see things uh, go from two sites to one to zero. Um, And um, it's always, it's always a traumatic experience to be aware of extinctions that are going on around you. Um, And at, The end of my undergraduate degree I was really really lucky because I got given a liquid scholarship with two grand um felt like a millionaire so (laughs) I spent a week and I thought what better way to spend two grand than to um found a, a, a conservation program to to help some of these rare plants that are on the absolute cusp of extinction or are already extinct through um, the region of Northwest England. Um, A lot of the peatlands in the Northwest, I say we've lost about 98% of them. Uh, When we lose these habitats and degrade them, of course, a lot of the species that we lose from peat extraction or conversion to agriculture they aren't able to recover naturally. They aren't able to disperse themselves. And so one critical aspect of the Northwest Rare Plants Initiative, which is the project that I run, is because um, using reintroduction as a tool for ecosystem restoration. Reintroduction is, is a particularly important tool in a lot of situations, particularly for degraded peat bogs where things like great sundew and carnivorous lesser bladderwort um, and all these fantastic plants that would otherwise be very widespread, um, what, they're just not able to come back on their own, That's that's what I do. <laughs>
1: So, were you just able to go off and plant them? Do you know certain areas which are better for them to put them back into and re-establish? How did you go about this?
0: Well, um, reintroduction is great. When you hear about it in the news, um, it's really heartwarming. It like This plant or this bird or whatever is back where it belongs, but Uh, reintroduction isn't a simple process unfortunately (laughs) it's not just a case of me deciding um that a site is suitable so i'll just whack plants wherever there's loads of stuff involved loads of key questions need to be asked like first and foremost if you're going to take a species into cultivation you need to ask whether sampling that plant from Um, populations is going to be damaging to those populations. Um, And so I actually adhere to some pretty strict guidance by IUCN and the Botanical Society of Britain and Ireland when it comes to sampling and the whole reintroduction process. And then there's other things like suitability assessment. I have to get uh, consent for most reintroductions from Natural England, where I'll have to put together details, feasibility documents, and then, of course, once everything's all in place, I've got consent for it, and it's all been done. Um, the actual reintroduction process, then there's a there's usually monitoring as well that that, that needs to follow over over a number of years, yeah. very long time. Pretty, pretty complex process. More complex than it sort of sounds uh, initially, I suppose.
1: Well. I mean, it seems that you've had great success with these. Um, I'm just going to point out three in particular, um, which are some of my favourites. So first of all, golden bog moss. Um, I think mainly for the colour. I absolutely love that colour. For anyone who doesn't know, it's um, like a deep golden colour. The next two are the carnivorous plants. Can you tell us a little bit more about lesser bladderwort and great sundew, please?
0: Oh my god, yes. Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, a a lot of the reintroduction work that I'm involved in is across the Greater Manchester Mosses, which are probably some of the region's most degraded uh, peatlands. Um, And sadly, because of agriculture and peat extraction and one thing and another, Lesser bladderwort and great sundew are plants that went extinct there over 150 years ago. However, loads of stuff has happened in, by Lancashire Wildlife Trust and loads of other people that have helped to restore some of these bogs. And so, because the habitat was suitable again after 150 years, I've been involved in a reintroduction or reintroductions, plural for lesser bladderwort and great sundew. They're both carnivorous, and I like lesser bladderwort best because it is one of the fastest plants on the planet. Looks like a bit of pond sludge uh, to the untrained eye, but when you get up close and personal, it has these bladder-like traps, and these traps um, have evolved over eons, um, really, really complex structures. And essentially, when an aquatic invertebrate passes one of them, the trap opens up and sucks it in within one ten thousandth of a second uh, and digests it. So, not only are are the bladderworts and lesser bladderworts really, really super, super speedy, um, but they also are some probably some of the most successful predators on the planet. Um, A single plant can consume over 10 animals every year which is pretty good going for uh, an organism that people might think of as passive a plant
1: yeah. there's videos on youtube of them in action um which i've seen they've obviously slowed it down quite a bit and it's something out of a horror film i did not realize that those sorts of things were you know living among us in the uk
0: but yeah no we have uh, 13 species of carnivorous plant native this is my
1: nightmares josh (laughs) stop
0: (laughs) and great sundew is another one and the reason that a lot of plants well the reason that plants in in britain at least have, have evolved to become carnivorous is they occupy peatlands uh, now, peatlands are incredibly nutrient poor environments, and so the reason that they've evolved to become voracious predators is so that they can compensate for the lack of particular soil nutrients. Um, um, Great Sundew is another carnivorous plant. It exudes digestive mucus over its insect prey that gets stuck to the leaves. And so, what I did with both of those is I managed to find suitable donor sites. I sampled a very small amount of material, brought them into cultivation, and eventually got round to reintroducing them. It's been a pretty happy journey, but for, for less of bladderwort in particular, um, across the sort of Cheshire to Lancashire plain. This is a species that was, in 2018, restricted to what is essentially a puddle in Delamere Forest. Took it into cultivation, reintroduced about 60 plants that I'd bulked up at home. The Manchester Mosses. Anyway, good news story is 2019, did some monitoring. There's over 29,000 plants. Massive increase on 60. Even better news monitoring in 2020, there's over 200,000 plants, and the population is so massive. uh, The range is just expanding significantly year on year great sundew is also a good news story but isn't increasing quite so quickly um, <laughs> it's from- been overshadowed re-
1: isn't it yeah it's doing well but it's just been overshadowed by his older brother yeah, who's just it, doing it, ridiculously well
0: yeah it's definitely been overshadowed <laughs> um but from from 10 plants last year um there's there's over 40 at that original receptor site and then There's now over 60 plants for Greater Manchester, which I have cultivated and reintroduced.
1: That's amazing. Congratulations. Um, And I guess that's a sign of a healthy bog is that, you know, these plants are doing so well on it.
0: With recovering peatlands, often you're you're working with a pretty blank canvas. So reintroducing these plants, um, adding part of an ecosystem that should be there, um, it, it can be... Pretty satisfying, and of course, things like lesser bladderwort um, have, have been really important for the species too. Um, it's one of a few flowering plants on the whole site, and it's been really important for certain flies. Um, there is water lily aphid that uses it um, on on the Greater Manchester mosses, which has not been recorded for the sites before. There's loads of other stuff um, that these these plants benefit.
1: And we also had, um, just last summer, the reintroduction of the Manchester Argus, the large heath butterfly.
0: The Manchester Argus is, is a really amazing story. That was brought back by um, Lancashire Wildlife Trust and Chester Zoo. And um, it's already been a successful reintroduction for Haitian moss, which is in Lancashire. And the, the release sites in Greater Manchester are probably about the same quality as Hesham. So um, hopefully we'll be seeing loads more Manchester Argus butterflies soon.
1: That's really exciting. Now, there was an incident last year, Josh, um, to do with the Forestry Commission. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what happened there?
0: a site in Berrier End in Cumbria. It's a superb site, um, not only for the fact that it's a peatland and it sucks up and stores huge amounts of carbon, but for its botanical and other wildlife, um, as well as for some nationally important plants. Really, really special site. Um, anyway, what Forestry Commission did at Berrier End was they gave permission for the landowner to plant trees over it. Um, Most of that had peat deposits. Um, A lot of those peat deposits were over half a meter deep as well. Um, Forestry Commission, they gave consent for that without doing any ecology surveys, without doing any surveys on peat depth. And it was a national scandal, which I'm very happy about because DEFRA and Natural England work with Forestry Commission and they've taken all the trees or they will be taking them off the peat.
1: I think we need to find a way to promote them more, to make bogs sexy. How can we do this?
0: well there actually there's a carnivorous plant that grows on some peatlands and it has an sti <laughs> common to so that's pretty sexy isn't it and and there's a group of plants the lycopods um, or more specifically the club mosses and a lot of club mosses um, or some club mosses grow on peatlands and club mosses they they predate the dinosaurs by hundreds of millions of years they look like alien christmas trees and they are also used for the manufacture of anal suppositories and condoms so that's pretty oh, wow. sexy as well yeah,
1: definitely so what exciting things have you got coming up in the pipeline um
0: well i've just sort of undertaking my, my 45th reintroduction. So, but I um, really, something I'm really excited for is just to continue monitoring all of those things into the longer term. As well as that, I'm, I'm hoping to uh, be reintroducing a, a really, really special plant, to Cheshire called marsh lousewort. It is a parasite or a semi-parasite. So although it, it has chlorophyll and produces its own energy, uh, what um, marsh louse does is it, it attaches its roots to the roots of, of nearby plants and sucks up nutriment for itself. But sadly, marsh louse went extinct because of poor management um, at a few sites in Cheshire. Um, however, Wimbury moss, um, the, the habitat has recovered now, through some areas and and so hopefully i should be able to reintroduce that plant
1: oh that's so exciting um so if the, if you were to give a little take-home message for the people listening about peat bogs what would it be I, I think a take-home
0: message to anyone who has an interest in gardening is perhaps to buy compost that's peat free If you want to learn more about peatlands, there's lots of stuff available on the Lancashire Wildlife Trust website, which is fantastic. Also, the Lancashire Wildlife Trust um, and the Wildlife Trusts generally across the whole of the UK um, tend to have quite a few volunteering opportunities if you really want to put your hand in and um, see what's happening. Not just with peatlands, but with loads of other important habitats and and charismatic wildlife.
1: Well, thank you so much, Josh. We really enjoyed having you on to talk all about peat bogs. I'm looking forward to seeing what work you get up to in the future. That's
0: great. Oh, thanks for having me, Emily.
1: Bye. 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 And that's it for this episode of Natural Selection Podcast. If you weren't already in love with peat bogs, I really hope you are now. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at uoe podcast and on Insta at Natural selection underscore podcast to stay up to date with all of our talks and interviews. Our podcasts are available on SoundCloud and Spotify and other apps. So be sure to give us a like and a share and tune in next time.